Welcome to Running on Ice, the coolest community in freight. I'm your host, Mary O'Connell, bringing you the latest tech updates, warehouse news, and everything happening in the cold chain world. Not only is there the coolest cult show in freight, but there is Running on Ice, the newsletter that could not be colder. You can subscribe to that on FreightWaves.com slash Running on Ice. Before we get into our guest interview, let's get into some headlines. Looking at the California ports right now, container, reefer, and passenger vehicle vessels are the only vessel types required to control their emissions when birthed. New regulations for reporting emissions went into effect in California at the beginning of this year. Now all vessels must submit a report to the authorities within 30 days after visiting one of the state's ports. The new 2020 at-birth regulation broadens the scope of the previous regulations by expanding emission control requirements to more vessels, including two additional vessel types, tanker and ro-ro vessels, and including new ports and terminals that serve these vessel types. Pretty much the only way to not have to report on reefer container emissions is to use a port that sees less than 20 visits from that vessel type per year, aka it's a low volume port. Phenonic announced the launch of its actively cooled tote, the ACT 2000, the next generation of cooling and freezing technology for cold chain fulfillment. At first, and also, it's the first truly sustainable solution for groceries' end-to-end cold chain fulfillment needs. The Act 2000 features a proprietary thermoelectric-based cooling platform that eliminates toxic refrigerants and environmentally destructive hydrofluorocarbons, also known as HFCs, that warm the Earth's atmosphere. All while meeting the most demanding refrigerated and cold chain needs, the Act the Act 2000 is available in both refrigerated and freezer versions for retail and automation environments and have plenty of accessories you can get with it. Side note, this does qualify for the new EPA regulations for the phase slowdown of HFCs. Last week, we had just a few thousand freshly cut flowers flying all over the country, literally flying. This year, there was 16% increase in flower volumes from Colombia and Ecuador, where most of North America's flowers are grown. In the case of Colombia, roses, roses, carnations, and chrysanthemums were the main flowers transported this year. The number of tons transported grew by 11% compared to Valentine's Day last year. On Ecuador's side, exports were more than 7,000 tons of flowers, which from which 80% were roses, followed by gysophilias to be transported to the main global market. Today, we are joined by Will Olson, sales manager at Deploy Solutions, and Josh Wolf, the director of corporate strategy at the Ruby Company. Hello, and welcome to the show, guys. Hi, I'm Harry. Thanks for having us. Hi, Mary. I am very excited. Yeah, I love absolutely. the I love the branding hats. That's just on point. Absolutely. You know, we're getting there. Uh, speaking of that, let's get a brief rundown on you guys and how you kind of, uh, Will, how you got started at Deploy and Josh, how you got started at the Ruby company. Will, why don't you go first? Yeah, I can shoot first. Um, so I came out of uh, college, got straight into the the logistics industry, doing carrier sales over at AFM for about six years. I went over to Uber Freight for about eight months and then was uh, kind of presented with the opportunity to start up a freight brokerage uh, underneath the Ruby company. So Deploy started out as Ruby Logistics, basically just doing shipper direct for the Ruby company, uh, moving primarily fresh produce, potatoes and onions, you know, coming out of the Pacific Northwest, California, going all over the country, um, and just use their freight as a springboard to uh, start up our freight brokerage, Deploy Solutions. So after about 
uh, six or eight months of doing that shipper direct. Um, built out a great carrier group of refrigerated transportation companies and uh, you know, started building the company off of that. Absolutely. Um, as you mentioned, Mary, I am with the Ruby Company, which is the parent organization. And um, I believe Will mentioned this. Deploy is our wholly owned subsidiary um, under the Ruby umbrella. And before I get into myself, I thought I'd just give you a little bit of understanding on Ruby and Deploy and the differences there. Um, Ruby is a national fresh produce distribution and supply company. Um, we support a wide range of customer segments from coast to coast, everything from national food service chains to retail systems, manufacturers, processors, wholesalers, you name it. Um, we've been in the produce industry for almost 60 years now, uh, got our start in 1966, and today the business has grown and developed quite a bit. We're now servicing about 500 commercial purchasers from coast to coast. Now, um, as far as Deploy goes, we started Deploy in early 2019, um, really in an effort to support our core business, as Will mentioned, utilizing the Ruby Freight as a launching pad for the company. Um, originally, back in 2019, Ruby was shipping anywhere from 250, well, 200 to 250 full truckloads of fresh produce a week. And that has since really doubled now, um, current state. So I have been with Ruby now for about five years. I lead growth and strategy for the company as well as marketing and operations. Um, and I'm currently also overseeing the Deploy Solutions Group business unit, uh, which is located in Chicago, as you know. Um, so yeah, as far as my history goes, you know, I've been in everything from distribution to managing corporate strategy at large scale manufacturing, but really built my whole career in food service. Uh, I think that you just have just a few things that you're working on there, Josh. Just yeah. a few. <laughs> Keeps me busy, but um, when we're able to work with such a dynamic group of folks that we have, both at Ruby and Deploy, it keeps things fun and adventurous, that's for sure. Uh, speaking of fun and adventurous, for those who might not know Deploy and subsequently Ruby, um, you guys were extremely crucial at the beginning of the pandemic when um, the, there was a lot of those farmers to the, those farmers to family food box programs. Um, what kind of inspired you guys to become such a major transportation provider for this program? Was it just, oh, well, we're already hauling produce, so we might as well do this? Or were you guys like, no, this is a great opportunity to make sure that, you know, we're getting people the resources and the food that they need? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I'll jump in on this first, and will you uh, piggyback? But uh, Ruby has been an approved USDA supplier for um, quite a while now, even prior to COVID and the box program coming in. Um, when COVID hit, obviously everything really changed. With respect to the box program specifically, we saw an opportunity to get both businesses engaged, Ruby from a supply and distribution end and deploy from carrier and logistics side. Um, and that's not just supporting Ruby's efforts in the box program, deploy also serviced and worked with many other contractors that were awarded business and helped with their uh, distribution and logistics efforts as well. But really, it was an injection of refrigerated volume for us, major volume, which increased our ability uh, to expand our capacity. And this wasn't just around fresh produce for us. We pivoted the business to supporting all types of box items, which included meat and dairy, uh, which were cheeses, yogurt, milks, 
Um, and then, of course, fresh produce, primarily hardier items that were a little bit more shelf stable, like potatoes, sweet potatoes, onions, things like that. Um, but it ended up being sort of a spider web effect. Um, many of our customers that we had been working with or started working with in the box program became partners with the USDA. And so that allowed our business to expand um, quite a bit. So of course it was a revenue stream and ancillary revenue and profit center for us. Um, but there was certainly a feel good aspect of it as well, putting, you know, fresh food boxes into the hands and communities in those, those of, of uh, that were in need. So um, while it was certainly great from a business standpoint, it felt good servicing this program for the couple of few years that it went on. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, being able to be involved in a program like this, when you're a freight brokerage, that's only, you know, two years old at the time. Um, you know, it was pretty, um, pretty substantial in our development of our, you know, carrier base. And just having that contracted piece of business is it's really, you know, not something you're able to to get quickly, you know, within the first couple of years, you know, we had been running you know, regular lanes for the Ruby Company, you know, coming out of the Pacific Northwest, going all over. You know, we had just started kind of building our external customer base, and then to you know get basically dedicated business coming out of three different shippers around the country, where it's five loads a day running the same lanes, you know, week after week, day after day, um, and really you know expanding our relationships with our core group of carriers, being able to you know contract them on these lanes and have them coming to us um, for you know better part of a year, um, really drove our our capacity and and you know, drove our professionalism in the industry and it gave us a good base to go out there you know coming out of the pandemic and um, give us a good case study kind of how, of how we could roll out a big project like this and handle the contracted volume. And uh, just be able to speak to that to to more of our clients, and uh, to be able to you know provide that value to our carriers uh, in a time where there was a lot of uncertainty, you know, in their businesses, and uh, and it felt good to you know, like Josh said, not only were we able to spin up this business, but you know we're we're getting these truck drivers to pick up these orders. It's a full truck load, fifty pound food boxes, and then they're going to these events, whether it's at you know these different churches, um, different food banks. And you've got a line of 250 people and their families, you know, waiting for these 50 pound food boxes. And that's really getting them to their, their next week or their next, uh, you know, month and uh, providing that support, you know, and it's all, you know, at the end of the day, it was all American based product. Um, you know, maybe not the beginning of the program, but to the middle and the end of the program, it's all American produced dairy, meat, um, fruit and veg going in these boxes and, and uh, it's a great program overall. So. I kind of feel like it's like a win-win for everyone. Like you guys get to grow your business and, you know, have some success, but then ultimately like you're doing good for the people in the community. So really there's just really no, no, no bad, no bad side to it. Absolutely. It was really an unbelievable program that the USDA put together and there's still iterations of it going on today, smaller scale, but there's still iterations going on today, which is great. I love it. It's kind of like the gift that keeps on giving, um, but there's been like a, there's kind of been like a fundamental shift in the refrigerated demand, um, specifically in regards to the food industry. What kind of changes that has, that have resulted out of this shift? What type, what kind of, what type of changes do you think will be long lasting? Yeah. I mean, when COVID hit, everything changed. I mean, it was a total shift in the landscape and, and that was from point A to point B in the supply chain. Um, 
And it wasn't just around fresh produce companies or uh, meat dairy companies. It wasn't about anything about that. It was every company, every industry was impacted to some degree during COVID. And it was a total trickle down effect that ended up impacting quite a bit, quite a bit in terms of consumer behaviors, as well as just the general economy. Um, you know, from my seat, I think that we're going to feel residual effects of COVID um, for years to come. And that's primarily due to like a pricing and cost of goods standpoint. I think what COVID did was sort of set new floors in terms of pricing. Um, and there's still quite a few factors that are contributing to the elevated pricing that we're seeing as sort of that, um, that uh, trickle down effect. Um, but if you remember early stages, early 2020, um, and just thinking about the progression, I mean, it started off in tonal panic mode where retailers were purchasing, uh, retail purchasing was absolutely surging to support consumers flooding to the grocery stores, stocking up truly apocalypse style, like the world is coming to an end, everybody grabbing whatever they could on the grocery store shelves. And all while food service, which is away from home dining, pretty much came to a screeching halt. Um, and on the food service side, fresh inventory became a huge challenge. So if you think about these big warehouses, these big broadline distributors that are stacked from floor to ceiling uh, with fresh produce and perishable items, all of their customers, businesses were stacked. And so all of a sudden you've got distributors and wholesalers now calling companies like us, Ruby, that originally sold the product in to help offsell you know, what's in their current warehouses. Um, so it was kind of interesting. It's certainly been a progression, but really it shifted from perishable items to then we saw an uptick in shelf stable, like canned goods, um, frozen items, as well as just general food items like onions or potatoes, sweet potatoes that are a little hardier and that have better shelf life. Um, and as far as the food service side of things, as things developed a little bit and things started to open up, while inventory was certainly um, being managed sharply, um, a lot of warehouses and commercial purchasers of fresh and perishable items started bringing inventory back in, but just in smaller amounts. They, they weren't bringing in full truckloads. A lot of full truckload users were starting to shift to less than full truckload volumes. Um, and we were able to support that, whether it was in Deploy or Ruby, we were able to pivot our business to help support um, those efforts, which, which was excellent. And then, you know, back to some of the residual effects of COVID, I, I think I mentioned this, a lot of it's due to cost. Um, cost of goods and transportations has fluctuated quite a bit. It's been a common trend that things have been uh, progressing upward um, in terms of labor challenges and labor costs broken supply chains with shortages of containers, rail cars, and over-the-road uh, uh, trailers, especially with, you know, the distribution efforts coming into play for the vaccine. All of those required refrigerated trailers. So you've got this influx in, uh, in demand for vaccines and other, let's call them emergency supplies, that really took a lot of those refrigerated trailers off the road, um, which, of course, impacted the market. So long story short, we were able to pivot our business. Um, but again, I think we will see and will uh, certainly feel residual efforts of COVID for years to come.
I think that's kind of like the story of the the pandemic is being able to pivot your business and pivot it quickly. Um, and at the end of the day, you can have you know contracted asset carriers set up to haul your freight you know, day in, day out. You're moving the same lines, you've got a good thing going. Um, and all of a sudden that demand shifts and you're having to start to do to instead of delivering to these restaurant supply companies, you know, you're starting to deliver into these wholesalers or into these grocery chains. And as that demand shifts, um, you know, your assets or your, you know, company private fleet isn't able to handle that new capacity. So where do you turn to in that situation? And at the end of the day, you got to go to a freight brokerage. Um, now that's where we're able to be nimble. We have a larger network of carriers. We have the manpower to go out, call around and provide those um, solutions to you. You know, as your demand shifts, as you're having to, you know, look at new avenues of revenue, um, and we can come in and provide a solution to you to make sure that that transportation keeps flowing and uh, your product gets to where it needs to go. So, I kind of like it. You guys were well, more or less the problem solvers. There, you're like, hold on, I have a like, like we have a problem, and you're like, give us a minute, we'll have a solution. Just, just give us a minute give us a minute. Um, and you guys did find that solution, which we love because, you know, nobody wants rotting a warehouse full of rotting produce that they can't do anything with. Um, so what kind of lessons were more or less learned by maybe some of the chain restaurants or because um, you did mention that, um, you know, restaurants did shut down and people were like, what do I do with all this produce? Um, I actually had a restaurant by me that um, turned their produce into like a little market. So they were still technically open for like a to-go order kind of, but they had a little market that was basically everything that they would use to, um, you know, like cook food. They Because it was, they had a, like four restaurants in the area and they just turned it into like a little market where you could come buy the produce at a cheap, cost and since you know the grocery stores were like lol what is anything that goes in a store right now um it was you know the way that only some people could get it and it was really convenient next to a bus stop and you know they had a whole bunch of they had a bunch of resources there so um what kind of lessons do you think were learned by maybe some of the chain restaurants during the pandemic and do you think that that will because you said that they were coming to you for extra capacity do you think that will kind of continue on over the next year or so as we kind of make this return to normalcy it's a good question. I think um, one of the biggest lessons that I have learned, I think many of us have learned, is that everything can change on a dime. I mean, our entire business changed on the dime. Um, and what for me, what that results in is the need and the focus for diversification and customer retention. Um, and I think a lot of that is just through best-in-class service, execution, continuing to be able to deliver value outside of just the right price and a good carrier. What other value can we drive to our customer base to help keep us in the door? Um, even when we're past some of these challenging markets. Um, and, you know, for us, I think diversification is a huge lesson learned. Um, and then as well, you know, as I think about um, our customers and being able to pivot, when we were going after some of the USDA or government-driven uh, business, uh, we were able to get in with a lot of shippers that we hadn't even been on our radar before. And so as I think about this, it kind of pushed us to understand and look into unconventional ways for customer acquisition and engaging with customers. And um, most of the customers that we've serviced over the last few years are not here today, gone tomorrow. 
Um, many of these have been longstanding partners for us, and uh, most of our core customers today, we've been shipping freight for for years. Um, and you know, we're not going to be, and we aren't, and I'll be the first to say, we're not always the cheapest broker out there. Um, and we, we're okay with that. We know our niche, which is focused on refrigerator, temp controlled trailers, um, killing service, absolutely, um, good communication. Um, but again, the, biggest, the biggest lesson I think for us was diversification and then understanding how we can deliver value across the supply chain that's a little bit more unconventional, if you will. You know, I think that the the labor shortage during the pandemic uh, you know, affected a lot of warehouses, a lot of uh, dock workers, and a lot of these final mile uh, drivers, which really have the most difficult job of any driver out there, um, is is doing these multi-stop deliveries direct to the restaurant, delivering inside. And, you know, maybe the wage increases weren't enough to really keep those guys around and keep them working. But we had chain restaurants coming to us saying, you know, I've got you know, five of my franchises in this area or, you know, 10 of my franchises in this area that are running out of product and either are having to cut items off of the menu or, you know, shut down the restaurant until we can receive our next delivery. And, you know, U.S. Foods isn't, isn't able to give me an ETA on when they can get a driver to, to bring in my, to, you know, to bring in my product to keep my restaurant running. And once again, you know, as a freight brokerage, um, we can be turned to to really come up with a solution and find that driver who's willing to go in with a you know 53 foot trailer with no lift gate and you know get an assembly line at the restaurant and get team drivers on the truck and hand offload that product at, the, at their deliveries to you know make sure that those restaurants aren't going to close down and that they can keep servicing their customers and servicing their clients you know just like we want to provide that service to our customers and clients and you know when the restaurant's not open it's uh it's a negative impact to the whole business. So, um, you know, we pride ourselves when a customer comes to us with something, you know, that's out of the realm of uh, typical, you know, full truckload run or typical freight brokerage, one pick, one drop um, run. And, and we'll, we'll go around and, and find somebody to, to accomplish that for them. So um, definitely proud of that. And I think, you know, it's something that will continue because um, the, the labor shortages and the driver shortages are here to stay. So we'll see. I will say that that is probably one lasting change from the pandemic is that there, I don't see the end to a labor shortage anytime soon. Anytime soon. Um, so it's just going to be a matter of how creative can you get with the resources that you have, whether that's through automation, process improvement, anything like that. Um, I think it's, it's just going to be very telling over the next few um, months to years as to who survives and who doesn't and who really adapts to excuse me, who adapts to, um, you know, the changing market and, you know, makes, finds a solution and who doesn't. So I think that's going to be the next big thing, in my opinion. Mary, I would just add on that. And, um, you know, between both Ruby and Deploy, something that really sets us apart, I think, from a lot of the other brokers. And, you know, we, we recognize that the brokerage space is a highly oversaturated industry. Um, but, back to like our ability to pivot and adapt, we truly, you know, bring that whatever it takes mindset into the office every single day. And when you're servicing the, some of the biggest CPG companies or some of the largest food service chain operator systems in the world, these are systems that are not okay to say, sorry, we're out of potatoes or onions or lettuce. But you need to get it there from point A to point B, you got to figure it out. And, 
I will say that's something that I think has been a big differentiator for us and an opportunity to not only break in with new customers, but stay in the door as well. So, yeah. Yeah, you can't really be like, sorry, this will just have to happen later. Someone's going to be like, yeah, we don't know. That's not an option. Um, so we are almost out of time. And there is a question that everyone on the show has to has to answer. So, Will, I'll ask you first. And then, Josh, don't worry. You're still going to get it. Uh, is cereal a soup? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'd say I think soup for breakfast just doesn't sound right to me. And uh, yeah, no, I'd say no. All right. Fair. Josh, what about you? Okay. So I'm okay with having soup for breakfast in certain situations. However, cereal to me is not a soup. For me, soup is hot. Even though there are cold soups out there, I'm a hot soup guy. So cereal not happening for it's me. It's not it. Also for me, like I like to use the least amount of milk possible in my cereal because I like it to be crunchy. I don't like it to be soggy. I don't like it to be weird. Um, so for me, it's not a soup because I like it crunchy and I usually don't eat my cereal with milk anyway because I'm a monster. Really? Yeah. It's okay. It's my wow. weird thing. Um, so in other words of not weird things, where can everybody find you outside the show if they want to take your your uh, soup on breakfast opinion or have any, um, you know, freight broker, uh, food, transportation questions? Yeah, find us online, you know, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, really all the social media, either the Ruby Company or Deploy Solutions Group, we're out there. And we'd love to talk to anybody that's in need of transportation or fresh produce supply. We're available. Alrighty, you guys. Yeah, just sliding those LinkedIn DMs. They're welcome. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for being on the show. Thank you, Mary. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. You can catch other episodes of Running on Ice here on Freightways TV, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts, like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Need more Running on Ice news? Subscribe to the newsletters on freightwaves.com slash running on ice. Until then, see you on the internet. Mm-hmm.